Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at njm.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome, everybody, to Parks and Recollection. Hi, guys. Hi, Kirsten. How are you? Hi. Kirsten, I, when, I, when, I, when I see you, I get really, like, I start thinking, am I wearing the right clothes? Do I, are these appropriate clothes for me? Do I look like my character? And you got, look, oh, no way. Where did you get that t-shirt? <laughs> wow. Oh, my God, that's amazing. You're wearing a park, like a Motley Crue font Parks yep. crew. You're, you're in it. Yes. You're, all the whole cast is here. Oh, my gosh. What season is it? So, so yeah, Kirsten, by the way, our, our, our amazing costume designer for, for Parks and Recreation and uh, many, many, many other illustrious shows. And she's wearing <laughs> a, a, a baseball jersey type T-shirt that says Parks Crew. Crew spelled C-R-U-E with an umlaut over the U, like Motley Crew, And it's got uh, <laughs> cartoons of all the characters. What season was that from? That was uh, the final season. Oh wow! And then the whole crew, like a like a concert shirt, is on. Everybody's name is on the back of the shirt. <sighs> you didn't. You guys didn't get one. I don't no. know if I got one. <laughs> I didn't get one. I'm very sad now. <laughs> Rob is on the shirt. He didn't get one. <laughs> His drawing is on it. He's in it. I think you chipped in for the shirt, Rob. I think it was a gift. <laughs> Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I got one. Maybe I lost it. That's sad. But happy to have Kirsten on the show. Hi. Very, very, very exciting. Very exciting. Thank you so much. So good to see both of you. I know. It's been too long. And this is a, and this is a good episode that we're talking about today. This is a Telethon. One of my favorites. Shall we get into some more Nope's Notes? Let's do some for Telethon. Here we go. First one. Believe it or not, this was Amy Poehler's first script for the entire series. Poehler said the scenes in which Leslie uses sugar rushes to re-energize herself at night, only to crash later, were very reminiscent of some of her own all-night experiences working on Saturday Night Live. Another quick one. Amy was nominated for an Emmy Award for lead actress of her overall work in the second season, and Telethon was the episode she submitted for consideration. It's got a lot. Yes. Here comes the summary, the synopsis, Parks and Recollection. Alan Yang, Rob Lowe, here we are. Episode 22 of season two, the writing debut of one Amy Poehler, star of the show, plays Leslie Nope. 
and it was directed by Troy Miller, very frequent director. Um, and of course, our guest for this episode is Kirsten Mann, our costume designer. Um, here's co- here comes the synopsis. My synopsis sisters and brothers, Leslie has volunteered to work on the 24-hour Pawnee Cares Diabetes Telethon and orders everyone in the office to work the phones for multiple shifts. Tom is decided to pick up retired basketball player Detlef Shrimp, former Indiana Pacer, from the airport, the special guest for the telethon. Leslie's excited because she's been allowed to program her own four-hour block. It runs from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., and she's already been up for 24 hours creating T-shirts for her staff and suggests that Leslie get some sleep but she plans on consuming Sweetums bars to stay awake for another 24 hours. Also, at lunch, Mark tells Leslie that he's going to propose to Anne. Intrigue builds. As the telethon begins, Leslie's already falling asleep. With time to kill, Tom brings Detlift to the Snake Hole Lounge, delaying Leslie's big headliner. Andy's band and my band, Mouse Rat, plays, and Ron volunteers to demonstrate how to cane a chair. But his presentation is so boring that the telethon actually starts to lose money classic bit. Desperate for for something to put on, (laughs) Leslie tells Mark that he should propose to Anne in front of the camera, and he agrees. Not long afterwards, however, Anne confides in Leslie that she wants to break up with Mark. Meanwhile, April tries to make Andy jealous by flirting with someone over the phone, but it backfires when it turns out to be Sewage Joe. Jerry's allowed to play piano to fill time, but everyone dismisses his skilled playing as a racket. Mark finally returns to propose and walks on set with the ring, but Leslie stops him by mooning the camera. We're doing a lot of butt stuff in the show. <laughs> Amy loves a butt gym. Yeah, more, more butt <laughs> stuff. Uh, Detlef, Shrimp, and Tom finally arrive at the end of Leslie's programming block. Detlef presents a check for $5,000, allowing the telethon to bypass its $20,000 goal. Leslie goes to Anne's house so they can talk about Mark. She then promptly falls asleep on Anne's couch for 22 hours straight. End of episode. It's got puppies. It's got Detlef Shrimp. It's got clipboard mouth. One of my favorite things. Clipboard mouth. Classic. Classic. Yeah, I mean, who who among us does not love clipboard mouth? Uh, Sewage Joe uh, and skinny Chris Pratt. There's a huge range of Pratts. And there's a lot of mouse red in this episode because they're just in the background of like every shot. It's just like, oh, it's just like they're in the background playing. So a lot of mouse rat. Um, we, we have the perfect person to ask this question. Was there ever a thought that mouse rat should dress more like the E Street Band or or like David <laughs> Bowie's band. Like or or should it be more grunge Kurt Cobain? Like what was the what was the sort of template? I think we were just going a little more Midwestern band, you know, mm. like replacements. But yes. just oh, I like a that. Few, wow. few years later. And I do love Watching Alan dance like the pogo in the pogo. background. <laughs> Kirsten, at a, at a certain point, Kirsten just let me wear my own clothes. So yes, so exactly. she was just like, "Just wear your own clothes." That's that's when that's when uh, the the bass player character in Mouse Rat just started wearing ties and shit. It's like, all right, well, I don't know what he's doing, but that's that's my own wardrobe. Uh, but yeah, always very fun. Andy's always Andy's wardrobe is always fun too. It's just that very grungy sort of trapped in the '90s look for him. Yes, there was never a thought to, to have Andy in the Axl Rose. Bicycle pants <laughs> with uh, and big leather coat. No, we never. We I don't think Chris would have gone there. <laughs> Not his vibe. Not his vibe. Well, Kirsten, we since we have you here, we we might as well start by asking you. You know, how did you get into this amazing line of work that's so fun and and you're so well suited for? And, and then, how did you start working on Parks? Um, I went to Parsons for set design, and then I started working in the art department, and I was looking at the costume department thinking, 
<laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> I jumped ship and the rest is history. I started working in costumes and um, how, how I came upon Parks is I was working on a show called United States of Tara and one of the directors there was directing also on Parks and moved me over to Parks and Rec, which was like the best thing that ever happened to me because my whole future careers, including working with Alan today, is Parks and Rec. You know, everybody, there's always one degree from Parks and Rec. Yeah. Who was is, who is the director who brought you over? Craig Zisk. Oh, yeah. I love Craig. Oh, yeah. he, he's my neighbor, actually. He he lives near me. He's one of the nicest guys in the world. He, yeah, he's he directed great. a bunch of Parks's. Parks's. It's, it's weird to say Parks's, but I'm going to keep saying it. How else How else is there? And yeah, and Kirsten has done so many shows. As, as I mentioned, we're currently working on a, a show with Maya Rudolph together. She also did some Brooklyn Nine-Nine, some Good Place, some Forever, some, yeah, so so, so many episodes, so many yes. shows. How fun. Do you, so do you love, I mean, I can answer for me, but but you do you enjoy doing these comedies? Because it's just, it's just so much fun, right? It's the best. I, I always say I have the best job in the whole world. <laughs> so all the uh, all the listeners out there, I have the best job in the whole world. So when you came onto Parks, at at what point in the show's run did you were you there from the very very beginning, or did you come on a, f- a few episodes in? I I came on a few episodes in. So listen, maybe maybe we've gotten to the bottom of one of the great mysteries. <laughs> when the show became great, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We went from Ron Swanson wearing suits. To Ron wearing wool sweaters. Maybe this was your first bit of input. Yeah. And the little, the three button polos. Yes. That, that is a mystery. It's one of our favorite things in this first few episodes, talking about Ron wearing suits. And it's like, well, it, he looks so strange. And then Kirsten saved the day. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I will say that I do feel like I slowly tried to make it my own, you know. I feel you in the show. I, I kind of get uh, your aesthetic and your style, and, and it works really well for this tone of show. And, and, and quite frankly, we're working on a show now that's just kind of similar, sort of, you know, but it's generally optimistic. It's the it's it's very colorful. It's 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 just every character. You can you know we were going over over characters for this new show. It's like every character you can tell immediately if I sent if I show you a set of clothes if I show you an outfit you know exactly which character it is. That sounds trivial, but it ultimately it is really important and it visually affects so much about how you take in a show. Did you have favorite characters on on Parks and Rec uh, that that you love to dress and 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 you know tell me about anything interesting or or or, or what compelled you about each character maybe. Well, I could circle into Rob, who never uh, never did an episode without me. That's right. Yeah. And the thing I love about this episode is that this episode leads to your first episode. That's right. That's right. And so we get to see Anne saying goodbye to Mark, and that means that uh, Chris Traeger's on his way in. So it's like this perfect bridge. And so what I most remember about this week of shooting, Rob is going to visit you on your, you were at Brothers and Sisters. Yep. And we did our fitting. Mm -hmm. And I had so much fun because Chris Traeger was so up my alley, the preppiness and the like quirky preppy that I love. And so this week was the, the week that we shot this episode was like a big week in lots of ways because you were coming on and um, Scott was coming on. And one of my favorite things you said to me, Rob, was um, you were like, put me in blue and my eyes will go pow. 
<laughs> the man knows what he looks good in. And and I just like I always think of you and uh, like when I think about glue. Pow. Pow. <laughs> That's right. You know, the other thing is is Rashida Jones is kind of a little not kind of is a sort of little fashion Easta fashion icon of of her her generation you know and she's a very specific she's got a commercial on that's on right now and she's in five different scenes within the commercial and i get yep that's rashida outfit yep that's rashida like yep i mean she has a very specific taste and i wondered if if you had any thoughts on how that informed ann perkins Ann Perkins. Ann Perkins was probably quietly the best dressed woman in Pawnee, <laughs> but very quietly because we couldn't go. I mean, Rashida has such great style and she and she's brave with style and she's so cool. So we had to like pull back her cool factor. But we definitely were able to like Anne had a little style if you if you're if you're really looking and as you know, but. She never had as much style as Rashida, not in the <laughs> biggest stretch of your imagination. Right. You got to hold her back. You got to hold her back. That's yeah. for future shows. That's for when she's in a Sofia Coppola movie, she can uh, dress uh, <laughs> dress fancier. <laughs> That's down the it's road. It's <laughs> very fun. Also, I, I mean, I went shopping with Rashida in New York and we had the best time. And she is so willing to like take it to the edge and she's just the best. Yeah, she, she always always count on her to have cool glasses. Always like cool glasses and like cool, cool accessories. Everything. Cool Rashida, everything. I just want to follow Rashida around. Again, her she her she, her dad was Quincy Jones. She's, I mean, she's got cool on. cool DNA. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, DNA. she does. Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so this episode was like it was such a bridge episode, also to like a whole other part of Parks and Rec. Yeah, it, and it feels that way. You can feel it. It's the calm before the storm. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, episode. I think you're kissing Anne in the next episode. So she, she moves on. Spoiler alert. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Yeah. Next week, next week is the master plan. It's the first uh, appearance of Chris Drager and, and, and a Ben Wyatt. So very, very, very exciting. Um, was there a general vibe you had when, when you were deciding to, to dress these Pawnee characters and people in the office and people in the town? Like what, what, what were you kind of going for? Did you do research uh, in, in, in terms of how people in the Midwest dressed or what was your vibe? For sure. It was, I I tried to make it as real. And, and Mike sure is so good at that. Who's the creator of the show. He, he really wants to keep it and based in reality. And so I feel like we really, we tried for that with a little, with a little twist. And you get a lot of opportunities in this episode telephone because there's so many people in it. I mean, the entire cast is in it, but then you're meeting all kinds of people on the actual telephone. Right. Um, who's Alan? Who's the name of the singer who comes in and sings the Eurythmics song? It's so amazing. Denise Yermley. Denise, Denise Yermley. Yermley. I don't know why I remember that, but I think she could, she appears in multiple episodes. I think that she was does. like a Katie Dippold obsession where she would keep pitching things that that you know Denise Yermley could sing. And, and think about all of the characters that show up besides our our regular six to eight characters. Right. It's amazing. I want to I want to see more of the there's like a one shot of a it looks like a singing group like the Von Trapp family kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. in in terrible like barbershop quartet type outfits but you never get to I want to know more about those people it's such a rich world yes. and the telephone is the perfect way to shine a spotlight on it 
It is, and it's just such a a good construct for an episode because you just get a, a litany, you just get an a, like sort of a parade of these guest characters. And I think at first in the writing staff, we're a little bit hesitant to spend too much time with these outside characters because you want to build your guys up. But you know, now that you're twenty some odd episodes into the series, you kind of know what your characters are like, and and that's when you get to have fun with these kind of one off characters and bring them in for one line, two lines, a couple jokes, and it just makes the world so rich. And people love those side characters, you know, and 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 they come in and just get those jokes off. And and Jerry gets a couple great moments too. He has the he does the magic trick with the egg, and then he plays the Brahms waltz, uh, which is which is always really funny. Oh, I wanted to also mention we we struggled in the writers' room for a while with like is Jerry good at stuff and they still hate him or is he just bad at everything and we kind of did both we never really settled yes. on it like in the in the camel episode where they make a mural he makes an amazing mural and in this one he's like a genius level piano player and then later we kind of went away from that but in a couple episodes he is very talented and they still hate him which is kind of a different game but it's still funny I don't know Leslie's reaction shot where she's listening to him play the, the bronze waltz is <laughs> yeah. super funny she's like alright enough of that noise like yeah. they hate it and it's really beautiful <laughs> yeah it, it is funny. I mean, I, I, it's hard to go wrong with Jerry. It's hard to go wrong. Yeah. Yes. yes. We, 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 we talked about Martin Housley, Denise Yermley, Barney Varm, the accountant guy, uh, oh, Joe, Joe Sewage, Mouse Rat's in there, uh, Pert Hapley's in there. Hard as the worm. <laughs> Legendary gif. By the way, Pert doing the worm in, he looks like, I'm not sure what he's in. It's a very bold choice. He's got a very <laughs> primary color kind yes. of top going on yes. there. Yes, yes. He was having a bit of fun that day. You know, he's our newscaster for people that don't know. And yeah. um, he was just in his wacky mood. And obviously he was heading towards doing the worm. <laughs> he, he, I think he's wearing a purple shirt with cut off sleeves and then like Zubaz pants or something, right? Yes, yes. Like I was, I remember first Zumba, seeing that. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I was on set for that shot. So when I saw it in the cut, I was like, what? I, I honestly, the, the Ron Swanson line is, what the fuck are you doing, Pert Happily? And I was like, what the fuck are you wearing? It's very funny. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's yeah. truly, truly special. <laughs> I also like, like looking through all these episodes at little things that make me laugh. <clears throat> like, um, we have maybe the best green screen that Parks and Rec ever did in this episode. It is a, if you notice it, they're, they're, it's early sunrise. Detlef Shrimp is, is driving Tom to the telephone. I remember this, yes. yes. And it, is the, it literally looks like a Terrence Malick movie. Like usually we just, we didn't care about any of it. We, we literally just didn't. We'd be like, have green screen looks shitty. They'd throw a bunch of GoPros in the, in the thing. It was like, what the hell ever? Nobody cared. But this man, I mean, it really looks like the dawn is breaking over Pawnee. I was like blown away. Somebody should have gotten an Emmy. It's an outtake from Tree of Life. Yeah. Yes, it's very Tree of Life. Badlands vibes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Kirsten, do you remember anything from this episode that like did you have to dress that live shrimp like he's six foot ten or something six like ten <laughs> yes i think we did i mean i think he wore his own pants and we threw a shirt on him but he was he was <laughs> dressed very casually as you know and and that that was very funny because aziz was so dressed up with his three-piece suit that ends up just being his vest and his hat and his whole thing. Yeah. What what kind of stuff did you buy for Aziz? He has a joke about shopping at Brooks Brothers Boys in this episode. But what did mm -hmm. what kind of stuff did you buy for Aziz for this episode and in general? Well, it's so funny. I probably and, and I'm trying to remember, but I probably did had to try had to Brooks Brothers. You know, I probably tried to like <laughs> make it accurate, but. Um, 
Aziz was very fun to dress. And I, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's thanks to you, Alan, because you always added a little like, I mean, one, one episode where he was constantly changing his clothes and you and I actually went through the rack and kind of were like, yes and no, like what would, what would Tom Haverford do? And throughout the seasons, I feel like Tom really came to like such a great place for me as a costume designer. Like he, he had such an art in fashion. It's, it probably also lined up with uh, Aziz making more and more money and uh, figuring out which brands he liked and stuff. Oh, completely. <laughs> like he's like, I want to, I want to wear this kind of jacket or whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, That's so funny. Cause that does happen, but, but we got to have so much fun with it in addition. Cause he wasn't afraid to be too big. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you and I always used to get together and laugh about how far can we go with putting me in the most ridiculous shirts that maybe a 12 year old would wear. Yes. Yes. Like big stripes. stripes. Oh, so cute. Oh yeah. (laughs) I loved it. In our poster for our modest little podcast, I'm wearing a striped shirt that I was channeling you. You were. I know you and you and I would have picked <laughs> that off the rack because it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like not a shirt a man of my age should ever be seen in. Oh, I loved it. But Chris would wear it and, and he would pull it off. He totally <laughs> pulled it off for sure. What what were the ideas for, for Leslie and Ron respectively? Like I, I know you you want to be relatively you know, real to, to what a, a government sort of employee would wear, but you also want them to look good. So what was the sort of balance there? That's, uh, we kept Amy pretty, you know, she wanted to stay basic, but we made her when she, on her off days, I feel like we did her very cute sweaters that could be sort of seen as Midwestern. And um, the interesting thing, I think even in this episode, Amy was pregnant with Abel. And so we were always kind of working out how to make her look and not look pregnant. Right. And um, the one thing I'll say about Amy is she's the least vain person I've ever worked with. And my joke would be she'd come, I'd set a few things in her trailer and then she'd walk out and she'd go, this looks good. Right. And it would, it would be like, Oh my God, you look so pregnant. <laughs> you know, she just <laughs> she's would like, be I like, don't care. I'm done. I put this first thing on and I'm like, no, it doesn't <laughs> work. I like that. That's she, very comedy friendly. You know, that's like, you know, yeah. a lower, a lower maintenance or like, let's just go do the jokes and yeah. make people laugh. Yeah. People, people who it's funny. My wife, Cheryl, I love her to death, obviously married a long, long, long time. But sometimes when we, when I do comedy, it's, she sometimes isn't a fan sometimes because um, <laughs> I don't care about how I look and the more ridiculous I look, the better I like it. Because you can't have vanity and do comedy. You can't you can't have any of it. So it doesn't surprise me at all that, that Amy is like that. You you just right. I mean, if you if you're not if you don't want to look, you know, as ridiculous as you possibly can, you're you're kind of done before you start. And so it doesn't surprise me that Amy's like, I don't care how I look. She did, yeah. And I've done a lot of things with, you know, I, Amy and I have continued to work together a lot. I do I did wine country and moxie and making it baking it with Maya. Um, but you know, that carries on even when you're doing a big show like telethon where there's a lot, you know, a lot of things happening. All, all my goal is, is to make sure that every single person is teased apart from our main cast and from each other. And, and so I think that's the goal and that's what I try even to keep them 
all Midwesterners, but all like rays of the sun. <laughs> I like that. The other thing that um, that my pet peeve on bad wardrobe on TV, it's usually <laughs> on cheap TV, but you'll see it all the time if you pay attention, is everybody's in clothes that are absolutely brand new. Like brand, <laughs> brand, brand, brand new. Like if you watch the Disney Channel, every single person on every single show, it's like you can still see the folds. <laughs> yeah. Um, the hanger marks. Thank the hanger you marks. for saying that. That is a really good. When I first started Parks, I had every single thing that was in existence washed with a little. Um, I mean, we we call it teching, but it's mm-hmm. basically like tea dyeing, like that, take everything down to to a worn level. Oh, I love I love learning the jargon. Chris Chris Traeger got to um, be a little crisp. Yes, I guess <laughs> a little crisp. You got to be a little crisp, but everybody else was a little bit a crew. Chris is up <laughs> at 5 a.m. every morning ironing his workout clothes. Exactly. <laughs> like, the other thing is there's um, white shirts. I'm a big white shirt guy. And, and, and how many have you ever been a part of uh, the discussions with the directors of photography who go crazy with, yes. with white shirts? Because like, they, want, they want you to dye it with tea. Takes the curse off the whiteness because DPs traditionally don't like it. On the West Wing, my character was known for his white shirts, and I fought them on that and won, and I have these amazingly crisp white shirts on West Wing, and it's something I've sort of kept wherever, so whenever I come on a show, I'm like, no, no, I will be wearing white, thank you, no tea for me. Yes, exactly. So that is something we're very, and it depends which DP you're working with in DP's director of photography, and Mike Trim was very loose with us. The first sign you have a bad DP is that that's where they want to plant their flag <laughs> on your white shirt. Completely. My favorite is like, if you're going to do a new, like like a talk show or a show and they send you a, an email that says, don't wear uh, a certain pattern because it will strobe. I go, this is gonna be a long interview. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the moireing. That's what they say. It's moire when the, the your yes, shirt has a moire, checked pattern, yes, and you just oh, yes. and oh, we got to change his shirt. It's like oh god, yeah. <laughs> but there are lots of secrets. So anyway, yes, and I love uh, fighting for the white white shirt. Some things in life are worth fighting for. I think. Imagine you're at an exclusive party. Across the crowded room, you spot the most stunning man. You spit-take your champagne. He keeps approaching, and then he says, Your spray tanning session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. Get up to $25 off your first month. Featuring Australian gold, hot guy not included. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. So this was the first episode officially written by Amy, and she would later go on to write more episodes, and she would also direct episodes. And that was always fun, because, I mean, 
at a certain point, I think, you know, actors getting to direct it, it you know, it, it makes sense, especially if they're paying a lot of attention when they shoot, because they know everybody, and they know their character, and they know the show, and so it was always fun when she directed. I, I remember this episode later on uh, called, I think, The Debate, where um, there were a ton of cameras going at the same time, because that's just how that episode was shot, and it was like, there's eight cameras going, but we also happen to have five people on set who had directed episodes so amy was directing and then mike was there and dean was there and morgan second was there and i was there we were all like looking at two monitors each it's like oh that that, this is like my dream of how the show runs it's like everyone's there and then we're just talking about it and and that's how it gets done you know and and and, you know everyone has opinions but but it's 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 such a collaborative process so i always remember you know how how deferential she was in some ways also very authoritative but and she's gone on to direct movies and and other shows and and you know this was kind of i I believe some of the the earlier stuff she directed so that's kind of fun well not only that this is um so the way it works with the emmys people is the studio submits you to the television academy like your producers the studio pick an episode and they give it to them and then you either are nominated not nominated win not win based on in theory your whole work over the over the season but nobody can watch the whole season so that you pick an episode this was the episode that got amy her nomination, first nomination for outstanding uh, uh, comedic performance. It is. It is kind of crazy. Uh, uh, Amy never won an Emmy for this show, and never. and uh, you know, obviously she she did a great job, and it was was nominated every year. By the way, and neither did Steve Carell. Steve yes. Carell never. This is one of my great things. People talk about Emmys and awards, and look, they're great. You get them, you don't get them. That's all. It's all good. But the notion that for seven straight years. On, on television, there was someone funnier than Steve Carell in the office? <laughs> really? Seven yeah. years. Not true. Yeah. It's it's also great to go look back. And again, no no shade on this guy. But I think Tony Shalhoub was winning like eight in a row for Monk or something for the show Monk. Yeah. Which was no, very, very, very so funny. So you just never you just never know. But I, yeah. I do remember I remember coming on the, the, the show and people being like, man, well, that nurse Jackie, that's, you know. What are you going to do? It's no Parks and Rec. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I think, Greg, you and I were talking about was because Amy was Leslie Nope, like literally was her, she kind of had a little bit more conviction and courage in pushing Leslie to places that you might not otherwise, in, in terms of if you weren't playing that character, you you might want to keep her a little more likable or, or protect her. And, and in this episode, for instance, she does something relatively unlikable, which is she tries to convince Mark to propose to Anne on live TV to save her own telethon. And that's kind of an almost a, a, a more selfish color to Leslie that we hadn't seen for a while. But I think Amy believed in that story move. And at the end of the day, it, she pulls it off, right? So she has to make a mistake in order to buy it back with Anne. And that provides a lot of shape and emotion to the episode. So I think that's something that Amy definitely pushed for and, and made the episode better. But, you know, it, it was the start of, uh, you know, she's just like such a creative powerhouse in, in every way and and was able to, you know, do do a great job writing the draft in addition to obviously being an incredible lead actress. So um, it, it was fun. It was fun to see. Yeah, that's one of the things I like so much about the episode is the fact that it's kind of got that sweet cringe going on. You know, that, that yeah. I think Amy knew how to take her character to that place that we wouldn't hate her afterwards, but kind of love that kind of weird darkness that she could bring to it. There's levels of cringe. Like there's some cringe TV and cringe comedy that for me is just too cringy. And like, I like it for a minute, but I don't want to watch it for three minutes or four minutes or certainly not a whole episode. 
So I think the bullseye in, the, in this, in the, in the telephone episode is, is right in the sweet spot where you're like, oh no, but you also love it. It's like the, yeah. it's like the, the, the character building a character that the, the quote is the villain you love to hate. Meanwhile, most of the time you yeah, just hate him. You know, but every once in a while you hit the sweet spot. And I think that happened with, with the cringe on this one. Yeah. Same thing. And, and, and uh, I agree. And, and, and this also kind of dovetails in with the, the element that Mark Brandanowitz, that character was leaving the show, you know? And, and so that kind of all kind of worked in concert as, as we mentioned, you know, the next episode is the master plan where Rob Lowe and Adam Scott join the show. And so in this one, we had to start figuring out a way uh, where that Mark would leave. And, and that sort of began with Anne sort of losing, you know, his, her romantic interest in him. So, and in the, in the ultimate part, like parks ethos, the relationship isn't going to work out. So it's goodbye. There's no, like he's going to get gunned down in the street <laughs> or he's going to, he's going to die rescuing a child in an ice flow. There's like, like he's not getting a hero send off. That's not happening. And and also he's like relatively he takes it okay, right? He's relatively empathetic and he you know, he acts kind of reasonably and is like, "All right, I'm I'm out. Peace out, man." <laughs> yeah, it's very unceremonious, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> There's a couple of things that that Greg and Schultz have have dug up here. There I did notice this while watching it when debating on whether to propose to Anne, Mark asked someone off camera what he should do. So he's like acknowledging that there's a documentary crew filming them which we basically discarded that notion partway through the show. So it's interesting to me that that was still happening. I think we did it a fair amount in the first two seasons, but they never wound up making it into the episode. And so what what winds up being are these kind of remnants of that. And so... <laughs> You're saying it's almost a mistake. <laughs> no, You're it's just the, It almost should yeah, have been cut. The show altered a bit. I think it's been cut. <laughs> yeah, it definitely because you watch, you know, you watch The Office and I think there was a big sort of pushback in The Office when they did that later, later, later on in the season, you know, that where they added like the boom guy or whatever. And then in Modern Family, which was shot in a similar way, they just never they're like, this is not a documentary. They're, they're, people are talking into a camera for no clear reason, but it's not a documentary and it's just it's just happening. This. Uh, so the other thing I loved about uh, the episode, I, just generally, do you have actors who come in? not just on parks, but in general, like who are, who are, who are more difficult. Like they're super opinionated about what they want to wear. They don't want to wear or, and then how do you handle it? Hmm, that's a good question on parks and rec. No, then <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do I divulge? <laughs> At the same time I was doing parks, I was doing another show across the lot. And there are people that are very opinionated and really I, my goal with my job is to make the actor comfortable. I try and I take my own ego out of it. Also, I don't want to make anybody look bad on camera, so I'll be very honest. But the most important thing is for the actor to feel the character. If I have an idea that the actor feels more comfortable in something, I mean, you can sense it in the fitting room where somebody starts to feel like the person that they are supposed to be on camera. And that's the direction I need to go, not something I'm, I preconceive. That's a real thing. You sometimes so what you do can make it happen. I, I feel like I'm part of the process that I get to. And sometimes I get to see the character come alive in the room. I mean, I can remember fitting you and where we kind of were laughing. And all of a sudden it was like, this is so him. And all because we had him and yep. like on the big place with 
uh, Ted Danson. Like we found this feather bow tie and we were like, hmm. And Ted was like, all of a sudden turned on to the characters. Yeah. So there, there's these moments where you feel like I found the character with the person because they, you know, sometimes an external piece helps the internal piece. For sure. And it's it doesn't always happen. And when it does happen, as an actor, you're just so grateful. You're so happy to have been like thrown a life vest where you're like, oh my God, I know how to right. play this guy now. And, and and that's why what what you do is is so, so important, particularly when, you know, you're coming onto a show like I was, which was already a moving freight train. And, you know, you got to jump on board or get your arm ripped off. So, <laughs> you know, when, when we figured those uh, little button downs and collared shirts and all that stuff, it was, uh, I was like, oh, I know what to do. Yay. Right, right. You kind of just start to feel it. And so that's the biggest joy. And Parks, it was the dream job. A bunch of sweethearts, a bunch of sweethearts. And this episode is kind of like, you know, it's almost like a, a metaphor for the show because everyone teaming up could kind of kind of solve the problem. And, um, you know, just circling back to Detlef Schrempf, for those of you who don't know that is, he was a former uh, Indiana Pacer. And, you know, we wanted the right level of celebrity for this telethon. And, and we kind of figured, I think basketball is huge in Indiana, Larry Bird, etc., Hoosiers. And uh, there are a lot of big NBA fans on the writing staff. So, um, plus, his name is fun to say, Dello Shrimp. It's always funny. So he became a recurring character. I mean, he came back later, and then we also later had Roy Hibbert play himself on the show. And we also had a NBA all-star Chris Bosh on the show who wasn't playing himself. I think he was just playing a really good high school basketball player. So he was on the Eagleton team, I think. So a lot of NBA cameos on, on Parks and Rec, and it was because there were a lot of uh, basketball fans on, on the show. So that was always really fun. It was really fun. I do feel like everybody's character and real, like sort of merged a little, like he, you know, Ron Swanson and and Nick are, they have a lot in common. Yes. I also really loved uh, the, the caning sequence with, with, oh, yes. with Ron. God, it was so funny. I don't oh. know, something about Nick's face when he's doing it. He's like, he's like over and under and wait and for over, it and wait for it. You guessed it over like, like it's, it's 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 just really good uh comedic acting by him i, I just love that part and then the, of course the money going down when he's when he's doing that sequence was wonderful i actually have a spec script that i wrote years ago that's just sitting around call, called telethon because it's such a ripe world the behind the scenes of telethon and because i've done a bunch of them yeah and there's so much stuff that goes on now, granted pawnee is not you know uh hollywood but it's the same thing. It's like, I can remember George Clooney putting on a telethon for the tsunami um, disaster. And it was like, you could see all these stars showing up, like hoping they would be on camera to talk, but it was sort of up to George and he was sort of like the guru of it. And depending on whether he liked you or not, you'd like either get to say something incredibly moving in front of America, or you'd just be sitting, answering a phone in the background. <laughs> and like every kind of, everybody's kind of, it was so, and then it got to the point where, of course I was, answering the phone and <laughs> and people would literally call up and be like oh my god hello rob well, i'm like yes how much would you like to dedicate to the tsunami and they like um i don't know is renee zellweger next to you could i talk oh, to her and no like, way and, yeah and then like <laughs> and and then it was like I, I remember sitting next to johnny depp and he was we were trying to like they didn't tell us how to get the money from the people and so <laughs> they, it was just a complete disaster and <laughs> 
So I've always wanted to really do a deep dive on and in, in what really goes on on telethons. That's, it's that's hilarious. Funny. That number one, by the way, if if Clooney did that telethon now, uh, he should just use his Casamigos tequila money to just to just solve everything. And then that's right. Number two, telethons also gave us one of the most legendary unintentional comedy moments of the last twenty years, which was uh, Kanye West saying oh. uh, George Bush doesn't care about, about black, black people, people. Yeah. and uh, standing next to Mike Myers just looking bewildered. That's a great clip. Just look at my look at Mike Myers' Mike's face. face. Yes. Oh, it's, it's one of the great. It's one of the great moments, and it couldn't happen to the. And, you know, I've done a bunch of movies with Mike, obviously, and yep. knowing how much Mike cares about things going perfectly, and what a control freak, and in the best possible way, you don't get to be Mike Myers without being in charge of details. So the notion that he, of all people, would be the guy. It's just, it's delicious. Just, I say there are not enough telephones. How about that? I, I, there's something about it, man. There's something about it. It's such a weird world. You're right. I, that, that would be a funny idea. So, you know, it works in the small world of Pawnee, and it's funny in Hollywood, and it's weird with celebrities up there. You're totally right. I just might, I'll leave you with this. So, um, the, the Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy telephone, which when I was a kid was the biggest thing. This shows you what was going on in Dayton, Ohio. Um, on Memorial Day, that's what we did. We watched the the telethon, and I wanted to be on TV. Then I was an act. I wanted to be a young actor, and I was like, I, and it says if you go donate. To, I, I was like, I want to go donate to the local firehouse where it was. But I thought if I donated somehow in Dayton, Ohio, enough money, I would be on the actual telethon, not having any idea that that was in Las Vegas, <laughs> and I was in Dayton, Ohio. Not a smart kid, I was. Not so smart. But I remember driving all the way down there, put my $10 in the fireman's hat, and being super disappointed that I didn't make it on TV. You know, but you know what? It was it was all for the better good. And you made it on TV eventually. <laughs> Into an episode. Well, I wasn't in this episode. No. <laughs> well, you're in the next one, though. I'm coming it's, it's actually very exciting. It's a countdown to, to Rob's episode next week, the first introduction of those two guys. So stay tuned for that episode. One thing I wanted to ask you, uh, before we let you go, was is is do you uh, did actors get to keep their wardrobe? How often did that happen, <laughs> or did you have to take it back or steal it, or did they sometimes steal it? I'm always curious about that. I don't know if anybody stole. Did you take anything, Rob? Uh, no comment. Because <laughs> it's like if it's good stuff, it's like I know you're supposed to. It's like is it a rental? What is it? Like do they do you buy it in return? You know what? I'll tell you what goes on all the time is yeah is um. Because I'm I'm commuting all the time from Santa Barbara, so I come in in like sweat, like literal pajamas. I show up in pajamas, and I'm in LA, and then I realize, oh, I have like a business dinner, so I will wear my wardrobe, which is presentable to yes. dinner. But then I have to wear it back the next day, so that goes on <laughs> all the time. <laughs> that kind of stuff does happen for sure. And um, where does the wardrobe go? It all depends. <laughs> I mean, it really does. You kind of have to ask the producers if somebody wants a particular jacket or something, and and it all kind of works out in the wash. But basically, all the clothes go back to NBC into a giant place called the Asset Exchange. And every once in a while, I'll be an Asset Exchange for another NBC show and find, like, a Parks and Rec gem oh, <laughs> that wow. I know I can't reuse because if somebody knew my... Not that anyone's following me around oh, that's looking at, but that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So there's this big I, I, warehouse, there's, huge, yeah, with Will and Grace, with so many great shows, and we share. You know, it's smart for NBC because they make it easier for us to 
you know, right now on our show, which Alan and I are doing, it's a universal show, so we can pull from asset exchange and make our party goers look amazing with clothes from past shows. So yeah. it's smart way That's- to do business. That well, is to explain the Western costume, that's still around, right? The it famous is Western costume? still around. It's so amazing. And if you ever want to, I mean. They have they, tours. They have tours. They should have tours. Actually, almost all costume houses, because they're attached to Warner Brothers or Universal, they all have tours if you, if you want to take one. But Western is the most amazing, you know, kind of Lawrence of Arabia and John Wayne movies and all kinds of things, you know. And you can often find jack- old jackets with actors' names sewn in them. You know, it's it's an amazing place. And I have to say, I was doing a commercial. I was helping a friend. I was, as I said, I wanted to do art department. And I went to Western Costume, and it changed my life. I went in there, and I felt like, oh, my God, this place is magic. Now, mm-hmm. you could go in there and feel like this place is a dusty hellhole. <laughs> so just like I always send anybody who says they want to do costumes to all the costume houses around town and make them walk it up and down every single aisle. And if at the end of the day you feel energized, which is not an energizing task, you can carry on in doing costumes. It's like going to the world's greatest thrift store. It, really? It, you kind of, And I was such a thrift store shopper my whole life. So I, I, Loved it. It's like with extra treasures, a thrift store with like Jimmy Stewart sewed into like a wool blazer, you know. Yeah, or, or you'll go there and you'll go, wait a minute. This looks like one of the things that what the aliens wore on Lost in Space. Completely. Or like you, you see your movie going and TV going childhood flash in front of your eyes on any given rack. It's really, it's extraordinary if you, if you, anyone ever gets the chance to do it and they don't go to Hollywood and Vine. It's boring. There's nothing there but 7-Elevens. Go to Western Costume if you really want the Hollywood experience. Completely. And just walk through there and you get such history. But it is true when you put that many clothes in that giant of a warehouse, it is a, it is a dusty, hot <laughs> cave. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> That is also true. Mm-hmm. Kirsten, it's Greg. I, I've been dying to ask you about one character in particular. I'm so glad you're here, which is um, Jean Ralphio. Oh. Because you've talked so much about dressing Pawnee was about blending in and just pe- people being their normal selves. But then he is the exact opposite. And we've seen him two or three times this season, but he's about to go off on a whole new tangent soon. Can you talk at all about the fun or what it was like making... John Ralphio, who he became. I'm so glad you circled back around to that because when I when you were asking me favorite characters to dress, John Ralphio definitely, and his sister and his father, who's Henry Winkler, <laughs> they were the most fun because we just got to go as far as we wanted. And again, Mike Sure, the creator, just kind of let us go wild with him and just thought the character got funnier and funnier as the seasons progressed. 
Yeah, it's almost like with these side characters, wardrobe and the writing and all of it, the performance, like you can go a little bit crazier, right? You can yes. go a little bit broader with a side character. They're not in every episode. You don't have to think of John Ralphio as that well-rounded a human being, right? For the, for right. the main characters, right. you want them to have multifaceted, rich inner lives. You want to be, you know, you want them to behave in character, but also have enough range so that they could occasionally behave out of character and you believe it. John Ralphio was essentially a receptacle for the wildest, most insane jokes and like Ben Schwartz improvs. So that was, and also the craziest hair in the business. So, yeah. Yeah. And ben, ben is amazing. He's so much fun. And, you know, there's always one in the town. I can always make sense, you know, or two, the siblings, yeah. the twins. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Kirsten. Thank I know you you're guys. a very busy person. I know that because I know how much work you do with <laughs> us on the new show. So thank you so much for joining us. And, and uh, yeah, anything you want to add about this episode or anything about the show? Otherwise, we'll, we'll let you go. I'll just say this is my all-time favorite show, Alan. Maybe until we get this other one going. I love that. <laughs> I love that optimism, and, and uh, God willing, we'll, we'll, we'll have as much fun on this one. But, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Kirsten. We love you. Thank Thanks for joining you, guys. Us. Thank you. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom! An official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it. Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops, just so you know. Uh, fruit? Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. The same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. We have been so happy with the response. So many questions coming in. Please keep sending them in. What's the email address, Schulte, that we can send in? Uh, people can send in uh, town hall questions. Of course, it's Parks and Recollection Town Hall at gmail.com. You can also find it in the show description. That's right. So we've been really happy with the feedback, so send in your questions. Where should we do this town hall, Rob? We have, a, we have a, tons of options. I think we need to do it at, uh, at the um, Cable Access uh, Studios. That's a great idea. This is where the episode takes place, Pawnee Community Access Studios. It's where Leslie spends 24 hours and the whole team is there. So this question that we'll uh, do in the town hall in this uh, Public Access Studios comes to us from... Bobby in Burbank. Bobby asks, Hi, Alan, Rob, production team. Love the podcast. I even gave it a five-star review on Apple. Yay. Shout out to Bobby. Very, yeah, very, very. That's a, that's a way to get your, your, your question read, by that's the way. Right. Just mentioned that you gave us a five-star review. Bobby asks, My question is, if in the future this podcast is so successful, NBC asks the both of you to create a PNR spinoff show, which character would get the spinoff and why? Well, number one, Bobby... This 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 podcast will be that successful. Yes. Let's 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 will it into existence. <laughs> let's speak it into existence. Um, it's a great question. Thank you for asking. 
Um, I mean, there's an obvious answer for Rob, which is he plays a character of the show, so he may be biased. What do you think, Rob? Listen, I think it's, I, I first of all, I think it should be about Mouse Rat, and Chris should manage <laughs> the band. I, I think it's 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 kind of it's it's in the genre, but it's also super unexpected. <laughs> it, let's and it could be a music show uh, in the style of. Uh, there's been a, a lot of great music shows in the past. My my girlfriend uh, is an actress on the show, Dave. Maybe there could be a crossover with the Lil Dicky show, Dave, <laughs> on FX. And uh, yeah, it could be about Master Out traveling the country. All we have to do is get Pratt. We can get Burley. We could get Mark Rivers. And uh, Chris can be... Chris, what kind of music manager would Chris be? Enthusiastic. <laughs> and indefatigable. Indefatigable. He, 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 he would have booked a, a tour with uh, Dave Matthews in the first day, of, in, the, in the pilot episode. We got a tour with Dave Matthews. You wouldn't be doing one night stands. You would be, be doing multiple shows a night stands. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we, you know, in addition to this, we get uh, we get Duke Silver, we get cameos from yes. Ron, and and he could open for for some of the shows, and that would be really fun. He's in the band now. I I would make sure he's in the band. <laughs> he's essentially in the band. So for those of you who don't know, Mouse Rat would play the rap parties at the end of every season, and often uh, Nick would play saxophone with us, which was very fun. I also, also. think we should do like um, what Paul McCartney did, like Linda McCartney went on tour you know dip on all of that stuff so we should bring all the other characters come with regardless of their musical talent and they're just on stage doing that playing the triangle and stuff I, I love that tambourine triangle woodblock cowbell yeah exactly john ralphio uh, uh play, playing uh, every instrument and uh I, there's a funny uh, funny pitch here from uh, schulte in the chat they also solve mysteries which I, why not why not right right it's like it's a band that solves mysteries yes that's great. Well, thank you so much, Bobby. We're going to take our leave from the Pawnee Community Access Studios. And uh, yeah, write in your, your town hall questions, Parks and Recollection Town Hall at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next week. Big episode next week, Rob. The Master Plan. So excited. Your first appearance on the show. Thanks for listening. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. Thanks to producer Greg and producer Schulte. Goodbye from Pawnee. Bye-bye. Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Some pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. 
Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Napa.